Welcome back to Rusted Junk, the 80s movies podcast. Do you find yourself wanting to put on a corked hat, fight crocodiles in the outback and then move to New York? How about befriending an alien by dressing him up as a ghost on Halloween? If so, this is the podcast for you. If you remember searching for that perfect film from Blockbuster, and if you grew up in the UK, waiting for that one VHS copy to be turned to the newsagents, then welcome. We'll have fond memories waiting for you. I'm Charlie, and the rest of the Rusted Junk team are Amanda... Joe, you are. and Dom. Hello! The film we'll be covering this time is the 1982 Martin Scorsese-directed King of Comedy, starring Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis and Sandra Bernard, and many others. But as this is Lucky Dip, and uh, it's, it's Joe's turn to, go to, uh, uh, to, to choose, as we pulled out the hat, and we're going to pull the film out of the hat at the end of this one, who knows it's going to be, but it's Lucky Dip. Joe, do you want to introduce the film? Why did you Why did you choose it? Because I love this film. Uh, it's one of my favorite films. I mean, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it would make my top 10 or anything like that, but it's Martin Scorsese. It's Robert De Niro. I love, uh, what's her name? I can't think of her name now. Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt, yeah. I love her. Not that I remember her, but I love her. Um <laughs> There've been many women in my life like that, Jones. So yeah, exactly. Worry. Yeah, um, but it's a. It, I I just think it's a work of genius. Like every time I see it, it just gets better and better. And it's really not meant to be a comedy, but the more I watch it, the more funnier I think it is. Um, and it reminds me of a of a Kubrick film. And I did research because I'm wondering if he saw it and what his thoughts were on it. And unfortunately, I couldn't find anything. I mean, I have to think that he had seen a Scorsese film. and But it, it just so reminds me, like, if I would have thought Kubrick directed this film. Again, I think it's great. I think De Niro is good. I think the, the big problem with this film, though, is that it came right after Taxi Driver. And there are similar characters in a way. And, and uh, you know, Rupert Pupkin and... Damn it, I should have wrote some more notes. What's his name? No, 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 no. Who's who's Robert De Niro's character in Taxi Driver? Oh, Travis. 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 Yeah. Yeah. They're they're a little similar, except for Rupert's a little happier, you know? But I don't know. I I just. Wait a minute. They're similar. Yeah. They are similar. (laughs) What? They They, they live in in Exactly. They live in a fantasy world. Hmm. You know, they. Their world is not based in reality. They they yeah. enjoy the fantasy world more. Right. Anyway, gonna get to that. So so, am I supposed to give my rating? Are we going to go over that? No, no, no. We're, this is this is the brand new brand new direction that we're going to take. We have a rating at the end because I think some people's ratings may change. Oh, will change. Okay. May change. May change. Um. Uh, uh. Shall I go next? Yeah. In fact, yeah. Go on. I'll go next then. I, I rarely, uh, when I'm, it's not the film that we've chosen or collectively, collectively we've done it. It's great. Um, I didn't like it. Um, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. I don't see it. I think this this feels to me like the Emperor's New Clothes, and and I'm just not seeing it um, because everybody else goes, oh, it's Scorsese, it's De Niro, it's Match Made in Heaven, it's got to be true. The character of Rupert, and I, I genuinely thought it was Rupert Pumpkin um, until I just saw the until I saw the trailer. Um, 
which we haven't introduced yet, but that's fine. We can do the trailer. At, we can probably match that back in at some point. But do it at the start before we introduce the film. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll find a way to do it. So hopefully you would have already heard it. So great. It wasn't a great trailer. So, you know, um, I think we all agree on that. Um, no, I, it checks many boxes. But I'm really surprised to hear you, Joe, Joe say this could this could be Kubrick. Really? Yes. We've, we've got Taxi Driver, we've got Raging Bull, and then we've got The King of Comedy. It's a film Scorsese didn't want to do. We'll get to that trivia. It was just, it it flopped so badly at the box office. But it's highly regarded now. And, well, and, you know, but it's no Rocky Horror. I mean, you know, it's it's not, it's not something that flopped at the it's... time and is now granted a sort of cult following. Well, yeah, it doesn't have the cult following of Rocky Horror, but I think... Again, you need to watch it over and over and <laughs> over again, Charlie. <laughs> it's time to chat. <laughs> but, but I just might, I might just get, just a, a, repeat. get a belt and just hit myself while I'm doing it. That's fine. It'll, because... it'll, it'll end up like a clockwork orange in that case, only, which will yeah. be yeah. a funny Yeah, so just get the eye lifts and uh, just time to chair, Amanda. <laughs> Put can some I, drops in his eyes. Can I just acknowledge? Can I just acknowledge that excellent observation there by Amanda that Kubrick um link Scorsese link that was on point. And and <laughs> as was my daughter's like delivery of the gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Jeez, no, I, mean, I, th- I think Char- Char- Charlie, you're getting too far into your review here. Let's save that for the right. end. Because um what I would say at this stage, Joe, is that I'm really looking forward to hearing your uh, perspective on this film. Because I think uh three quarters of this pod being on the other side of the Atlantic, there are some things that I just didn't get uh, mm-hmm. about it, but that I'm keen to understand your perspective on as an American. Yes, definitely. One of them yeah. is Je- one of them is Jerry Lewis as an actor, and I, I don't want to preempt roll call too much, but I didn't really know him that much to be That's honest. Funny, and, and, and and his Wikipedia page is a uh, uh, vast. Is um, it's huge. He's, he's got 52 separate bullet point honors on his Wikipedia page, and I think if I had a gun at my head, I wouldn't have known much about him before researching for this pod. And I also think that whole kind of genre of um, talk shows generally, talk show hosts and the celebrity status they have in America, you know, in the 70s, 80s and, and more recently, just doesn't translate over to this side of the Atlantic. So, mm-hmm. you know, what? what? Li- well, you, you can't tell me Terry Wogan and Graham Norton have, you know, the same iconic status as the you know, this film or Letterman's. What, well, like Michael Aspel and oh, you know, come people on, like that? No. I mean, you're clutching up more straws than a masturbating scarecrow there, Charlie. You know, they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> I love that. They're, they're, I know, he's got to get that in, isn't he? They, they have a profile. Oh, don't worry, I've got a Simpsons reference as well for later on. But, um, <laughs> the, you, you know, they have a profile. They're famous. They are celebrities to an extent. But these people, as this film demonstrated, you know, have a celebrity status well above and beyond their British equivalents, um, I think. And, you know, therefore, I think the film has more meaning, perhaps, in America than it would do here, which isn't too be negative about it but I, I think this is one of those rare examples where there is a bit of a, a cultural barrier between the, the us and uk so yeah de- definitely keen to hear what joe has to say and of course i'll stop rambling now amanda as well as we're in this introductory bit hmm. <laughs> well okay so at the end of the last podcast episode um obviously joe was picked for this film and uh out of the hat I'd never actually seen this film before, ever, at all. And the only reference I had to it was from the Joker film uh, that came out, like the, the most recent Joker film. Um, so I 
was actually intrigued by this. I was really looking forward to watching the film. Um, so I could kind of see what it was all about. And I love Robert De Niro anyway. I think he's an absolute amazing actor. Um, and so, yeah, I, I watched it actually yesterday. So uh, it's quite still quite fresh in my mind. Um, yeah, interesting movie. And it wasn't till after I kind of watched the movie that I saw, you know, it, it, it didn't do particularly well at the box office. And I think it was a film that was ahead of its time. I think it's actually more relevant today than it was then. Yeah. And I same. think people didn't really identify with it at the time. It was, it was far too clever a movie, I think, not to put people down in the 80s <laughs> for their intelligence, but... I just think people wouldn't necessarily have got it in in the context it was supposed to be. Because this is quite a dark film. It's quite disturbing, I think. I don't think it's a comedy. And that's... Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to know, really, from your point of view, Joe, why you think, because you've watched it quite a few times, why you think the more times you watch it, it turns into more of a comedy for you. Because for me, it I, I would probably say it'd be complete reverse. For me, if I kept watching it, I'd see even more dark themes to it. So well, it's funny that you say that. Interesting. Like, that it's a comedy and it's dark because it's considered a dark comedy. That's like a genre. Yeah. That they, you know. Um, but I don't you know, get the comedy element of it. None of none of the film actually was a comedy to me. It didn't. It didn't really come across as that at all. I and, guess and even when he went into his monologue. I won't, you know, go too far. The content of what he was talking about in a com comedic way actually was still really, really dark. So I didn't, I didn't get the comedy element, but I, I actually really enjoyed watching the film. I won't give too much away. I guess the comedy element for me is that I know so many people like that, and mm. I work with so many people like that too. Oh, like, really? Uh, you work with a oh, lot yeah. of uh, Ruperts? Uh, a ton of them. I mean, I used to have one on Nerd They all live the in that fantasy worlds. Really? Well, th that they think that they're better than they are. You know, that they think that they're actually funny. Because there's only some people that can be funny. I mean, I've tried to be funny. Like, if I rehearse it, I'm not funny. It's has I'm accidental funny, basically. <laughs> if I say something and it's stupid, everybody laughs. And I was like, they're like, did you think that up? It's like, no. <laughs> you know? It's just I said something stupid. But I know... You know, I know, like, basically where I need to stand. I, I cannot be a comedian, and it's hard to be a comedian. And it just shows he's not a comedian, but in right. his mind, he is the funniest guy on the planet Earth. And he's trying to convince everybody that he is, and he just thinks everybody's crazy that they haven't, you know, grabbed him up already. Um, And this guy that I used to work with on my podcast, like, he would always tell a joke, and you would always know it was coming. And we'd all roll our eyes because he'd go, ah, <laughs> You know, it'd start off like that. And he would say a joke and no one would laugh. No one would smile. And he'd be laughing, you know, like where he'd be like, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about the joke I said, you know. <laughs> and and what I would do to goof with him, because I know he wouldn't listen to the podcast, is I would add crickets after his after he would tell his joke. <laughs> or I'd add a sad trombone like, wah, wah, you know, because oh the audience... God. When they listen to it, they know it's not funny. He's the only one that, that doesn't know that he's not funny. 
And it's what's funny too is that I I still kind of see him on Facebook. I know he's not listening to this podcast because he'd probably kill me, but I see him on Facebook and he's come up with his a brand new podcast that he's doing by himself on YouTube, and it's about films that he's never seen before. <laughs> and he's just basically going to have a camera with him on it. I'm not going to say his name because I'm afraid <laughs> it's going to get back to him. And he's just going to bore the hell out of everybody for an hour. And I guarantee you he's going to get, at the most, maybe five views. If He might get a oh. lot because he'll be watching it over and over again just to see how great he is. Please and he's made the link, Joe. Yeah, I will. Yeah, um, I want to see this I, guy. I had sent it to someone else that happened to be on the podcast and, and they laughed because he even has a logo. And I was like, oh my God, it, this guy. And he's not, he's no John Travolta, you know, like he's not the best looking guy in the room, but this guy must have the weirdest mirrors in his house because he thinks he is gorgeous. He always wants to be on the screen. So he's like Rupert Pupkin. And I work with, again, so many people like when I was an accountant, you know, when I, it stocks like where people are so annoying and they don't get a hint and it just makes me laugh like when i see him because he makes everybody uncomfortable rupert Pupkin, you know except for himself like he thinks that it's, it's perfectly fine when someone says to go away and i was like no that's okay i'll stay oh, i'll wait. stay i'm fine you know yeah. it, it's just I, uh i can't wait ahead. to see it joe uh, are I'm, you gonna like, do like, like a, thinking, oh, sorry. a synopsis of the film? Because we haven't yeah, done that. yeah, in a moment, yeah. All right. I just want to see his. I want to see. I haven't watched Jaws three, <laughs> and I can imagine his comedies like, and there's this big shark, and there's this really small gate, and the shark, big shark, gets through the gate. What's up with that? And probably puts in laughter or something like that. Like, I, you'd have to put crickets in there if you were editing. No, he'd probably say like, something like. It's too bad they didn't have dental floss in that movie. Ah, you know? <laughs> oh, good <laughs> lord. That's worse. Well, I think I prefer mine. All I can say is I hope Joe never does my performance review. That was that was quite a brutal takedown. We just uh, we just all listened well, to yeah, it. He deserves it. He deserves it. Don't you know, mention it. Don't you know? Because got away rotten... with it. Don't mention the war. <laughs> right. Well, well, I'll talk right. off podcast about it. But, all right. Um, okay. Well, for those that don't know what the King of Comedy is about, and you've just heard us for, for 10 minutes basically breaking down whether we like it or not, um, the storyline is that Reaper Pumpkin, not Pumpkin, uh, is obsessed with becoming a comedy great. However, when he confronts his idol, talk show host Jerry Langford, with a plea to perform on Jerry's show, he's only given the runaround. He, does, he doesn't give up, however, but persists in stalking Jerry until he gets what he wants. Eventually... He must team up with his psychotic Langford assessed friend Marsha to kidnap the talk show host in hopes of finally getting to perform his stand-up routine. So yes, that that is the summary. That is pretty much it in a in a nutshell. Um, should we go to roll call? Because I'm looking forward to this for two reasons. One, I'm not doing it. I'm not I'm not hosting it. And B, because like Dom. One and B. Tell, tell me all about. <laughs> I, I noticed that as well, yeah. You can't go one and B. <laughs> what the hell's that? <laughs> I could do what I like. Oh, no, I can't on this podcast. You're um, a bit discombobulated tonight, aren't you? A little bit, yeah. It's all over the place. What I, What I is blame, going on? I blame the heat. Um, anyway, so B, <laughs> I'm going B. 
Um, I'm looking forward to hearing all about Jerry Lewis because, like Dom, I had no idea. I know he did like a funny face or something like that. That's that's <laughs> what I remember. Um, so here we're going to find out all about it. Um, here's roll call. Roll call. Roll call. Just With Joey. <laughs> Joey. That has British connotations, doesn't it, Joe? Oh, God, yeah. Joey. Yeah. All right. So the first one's Robert De Niro. So can we go to Amanda? Because I know she loves to basically oh, she go over the movies that he that actors have been in before. Can you name a few? <laughs> go, she is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, oh, he's been in loads, hasn't he? Uh, Yikes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Raging Bull. Good. Raging yes. Bull, because that's another yeah. Scorsese movie, isn't it? Ooh, check me out. Yeah, you've, we've already mentioned it, so you can't have it. But yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. No, oh, I can have that. Thanks, because I wasn't yeah, paying you, know, you can. I'm doing yeah. roll call, so I'm saying yes. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Thanks. Blimey. Uh, easily, no, no, please. No, no. Okay, uh, there was um, Casino. Yes. Mm. Uh, there was... Um, is it the Irishman? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's that was quite a recent, recent one. one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's is that another Scorsese one as well? It yes, is, yes. I think isn't it? Yeah. Oh, look at yeah. me. <laughs> um, what else? Um, Rocky, Rocky Bullwinkle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this taxi driver. Um, yeah. Yeah. You missed that. Was... A fairly big one, I would say. Yeah, it's the um, Goodfellas, is it? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, and hasn't he been in... Uh... Sorry, doing comedy. No, he's been in some other stuff as well. I can't remember. Anyway. I'm, Kate I'm Fear. Gangster stuff. Kate Fear. Amanda. Un- untouchables. When I did my De Niro research, I I, um, I edited out the films which were okay or pretty good, and just just kept the Stone Cold classics. Yeah, and I think there are 22, 21, 22 Stone Cold classics. You know, wow. which are, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Are some of them in the eighties? Because we might. I don't know if it might overlap, but okay, go on. Well, I think the majority of them are in the uh, the eighties and nineties, definitely. Okay. In fact, there's only. Yeah, yeah. So, well, should we just go through them in, in order? Are we going to do yeah. some like instant reactions, like we do when Amanda does a, a Billy Joel impression when she did well, on the previous? There are thing? some. So there can be no reaction. They're the they're, they're uncontroversial bangers. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put it to the test. Well, Godfather Part Two. Right. Okay. Yeah. That was the one. Godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. He's very what, handsome what? in that. Taxi Driver, Deer yes. Hunter, Raging oh, Bull. Yeah. Yeah. Once Upon yeah. a Time in America, Untouchables, yes. Midnight Run, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, Casino, Heat. Yeah, mm. yeah. What 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 a, what a collection! Yeah, I can't is. argue with that. Yeah. Then yeah, if if we consider most of those to be ten out of tens, nine, out, there's a slight dip, but only a slight dip. Jackie Brown, Ronin, Backdraft. Yeah, he went through this like late in night in the late nineties making. So that's it. I mean, Ronin wasn't rubbish, but it wasn't anywhere near his usual standard. Now, the, the next two are personal favourites of mine. I'm not saying they're as good as Taxi Driver or Deer Hunter, but I think Meet the Parents and Analyse This are both very, oh, very solid films. God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're fun movies for sure. Me, me well, parents, f- 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 fun movies, but actually a notch above your average, you know. Yeah, I would. I'd agree. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. And then there has been some dross more recently. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But you know, more later day De Niro, Silver Linings Playbook, and the oh, Irish that's movie. incredible. Yeah, he, he I wasn't is, a fan of oh, that. Oh, he's so good in that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I think if if you take and that that's my twenty one, twenty two films, which I think are stand the test of time, according to anyone's filmography. But if you strip the, some of those out and you just have the absolute stone cold classics, and I think you've got Godfather, Taxi Driver, Deer Hunter, Raging Bull, Once Upon a Time in America, Untouchables, Midnight Run, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, Casino, and Heat. Yeah, I just think bang. Yeah, they are. What yeah. what what other? actor has a range of hits like that i, I don't think there's any who, who can took that yep yeah pacino mm. would be a suggestion jack nicholson pacino plays pacino though doesn't he i said just de niro no he doesn't I, it does though he doesn't. I'm, I'm not i'm not even necessarily talking about the performance although i am to some extent but actually just those films you know to have starred in those absolute classic films which are an ensemble effort the director often scorsese deserves tons of credit i don't think there is another actor who has got that that track record of his, films there's brando he's he's pretty good i i, I think that i think the counter arguments brando chino um and nicholson would would be the ones perhaps yeah. but um but but actually for me it's de niro and <laughs> And watching me this too. film, Joe, the, the compliment I would pay you, Joe, is that actually it made me challenge myself a little bit. Because if you were asking me what who my, my all top top ten uh, top ten films of all time were, I'd have woven in films like Aliens, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, Groundhog Day. You know, these things that mean a lot to me. But actually, just from that list, you you know, do they really hold a candle to Raging Bull, Taxi Driver? These are such mm-hmm. evocative, you know, important films. I think and De Niro carries them you know he's such a charismatic screen presence that um yeah, yeah for me it just yeah. just blew me away and, and again you know uh what i would say is that there are, there are two things that i think are brilliant about this film what is new york early new york in the early 1980s so evocative you can almost smell the hot dogs in the cigarette smoke and the other one is Daenerys performance for, which just carries carries the film for me completely well so i used like, to i used to have lunch over us. there where most of that was filmed I, I didn't see them filming it, but I, I used to go there a lot, you know, so there's a fondness for me for that, you know, definitely kind of a nostalgia. Uh, first of all, Dom, that is, that, that was uh, that, an, an excellent, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. Excellent. Excellently put is all I can say. It's just brilliant. Um, I'd argue well, that. I, yeah. I, I need something to get the California raisins uh, off my, <laughs> my uh, resume when it comes to our YouTube no, no, that's, that's always no, going to be on No, that's on forever, Dom. Sorry. Okay. I would argue that, and the California raisins. Then. Yeah. Pacino's in two of those films. So, yeah, you know, you can argue who, who carries who, uh, who's, who's the better uh, in each one. But Pacino will always have Godfather, which is pretty much, I think, is better than the second one. But I might be on my own there. Um yeah, I, 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 well, I can't, I can't, I can't follow that. I just think it's, I, I when you go talk about the reference to New York, I did, did like the grittiness of that, and I know we'll talk about Joker at some point. Um, I know because uh, Amanda, you know, a uh, big fan, uh, as am I. But Joe, I think was the only film that you rated as a nine out of ten on your own podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested, we'll be interesting to get into that uh, at some point. 
But I, I suppose one of the things that's just reminded me that I really did like about this film is that the grittiness of New York. Uh, and so I'd ask you, Joe, what what was it like growing up in which we which we were told is just a city of crime and you know you'll get knifed you know on every corner and stuff like that what was it actually like uh i never got knifed i never got mugged um and i went to some really bad areas and i'd stated you know i would have happy hour next thing you know it'd be three o'clock in the morning and i couldn't get my ferry home I just happened to be lucky, I think. But yeah, I mean, I know there are a lot of people when I would go with them, they were afraid they were going to get mugged or eaten by a rat or something like that. And it's just like you get used to it every day and you know how to behave too. It's like, you know, like remember the beginning of of Batman, Tim Burton's Batman, yeah. where the kid pulls out a map and the father's like, don't act like a tourist. You know, you don't want to act like a tourist when you're in New York. You know, you just want to just act cool. You just want to go about your your life and all that but it, it is it does look like that that's what i give scorsese a lot of credit for i hope i'm not you know since we're doing roll call that i'm i'm getting a little too far off from roll call but it looked like new york to me not everything looks like new york to me the people look like new york to me the extras everyone that he hired they were from new york and one thing i always point out the the king kong movie that peter jackson made one of the first scenes that they had was they were in New York. Nobody was from New York. I could tell right away that they were New Zealand. They didn't know how to act like New York. They didn't look like New Yorkers. And these people were because I, I used to live amongst them and I used to interact with them. And this was what New York exactly was like. And it's nice to go to lunch around that time. It probably was like when he was trying to meet Jerry during the day. You know, you see a lot of people sitting on that uh, Paramount Studios. There's Rockefeller Center over there, mm -hmm. the Radio City Music Hall. It's right around that area. And it's just nice. And that's what people would do is they just buy their lunch and they just eat like he was doing. Like he picked up his briefcase and he was going to eat a sandwich. That's what we would that's do. That's all he had in his briefcase. Was so, it? I, 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 this is fascinating because uh, one of the but, things. Did he have butter in his sandwiches? No. <laughs> no way. Oh, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. Thank you. But, but Joe, sorry, Charlie. I know you're gonna chip in, but I yeah, just think a, a film or a book or any or any or anything really, any cultural thing you uh, digest that can evoke a sense of place. And Joe, you're you're fortunate enough to have lived there at the time. I haven't, but I've been to New York plenty of times, but not not in the '80s. Um, I just think that that's two two points in the score straight away for that. If if you can kind of bring to life and. Yeah. Really visually but you know that evokes your wider senses into, into a place like i think scorsese does brilliantly throughout his entire career but particularly in this film i think for early 80s new york then that's just wonderful and you know for me film movies as a media to transport you somewhere else uh you know perhaps more so for us joe than for you that that's really really powerful and that's brilliant directing mm. is it fair to say joe because i think the conversation just sparked something within me is it fair to say that on a par with Woody Allen in, in the way that he shoots New York. Oh, uh, that's a good that's a good question. Yeah, no, I, definitely because uh, Scorsese has done several movies that are based in New York, like Goodfellas and all that. Like he's he is he and he's a New Yorker too, so he understands it. So, but no, that's a good point. Him and Woody Allen. The only thing that threw me off that I felt was weird, and it could be because of the character, because Rupert is just such a weird character is that he basically was wearing clothes from the 70s. Like he was wearing a three-piece suit 
they didn't really wear three piece three piece suits back then. He had the hairstyle; it looked seventies, and that could again be to the fact that he just lives in his own world, you know, and that he didn't change with the the changing times or something. But he didn't to like me, Johnny the, Carson though. Night. Can I ask, in the film, what actual job did he have? Did he have a job, or was he did it have a job? It is figment of imagination that he had a job. Well, he did go and drop something off at that yeah, one office. What though? Um, I don't know. He might have. It might have been something. I, I don't know so exactly what it was. I, I don't know if he actually earned any money. So maybe if he hadn't earned money and he still lived with his mum, apparently. Well, that's the whole thing. Is it? Like Joker, you don't know what is true. He might not even have had a mother, you know. Exactly. It just because um, right. in his monologue yeah. in his comedy, he talks about his mother's been dead for nine years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the basement, he's yelling at his mother because his mother's yeah. telling him his bus has arrived, and you're like, "Oh, that's a bit." Hang on. Well, his, his mother has his mother has answer because she's um by Martin Scorsese's mother, which is more relevant when you think about the film Goodfellas, where she's actually features on screen and she's, uh, you know, it's a very diminutive Italian-American woman with a mop of bright white hair, um, but she's off screen. And as I was making my notes as I was watching the movie, I wondered if it's the same person I checked in it, and it was. So, yeah, it's not some sort of Anthony Perkins style desiccated yeah. skeleton upstairs. You know, he does, he does have a mother in the film. Uh, before I, this turns, wait a minute. Before this turns into, this will be the longest roll call ever. Yeah. Oh, deserves it. De Niro deserves it. I know. Well, yeah. yeah. Fine. Okay. Let's go to Jerry Lewis. It's film relevant. I, ge- I genuinely want to. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So Jerry Lewis. So the thing with Jerry Lewis, Amanda, do you want to guess some of his movies? <laughs> no. I don't know when. No, I'm kidding because I didn't think anybody. I could. Really knew. I couldn't name you one. Joe, jo, but just just take a step back because, um, like I said earlier. He's like a cultural icon in America and France, bizarrely, apparently as well, but particularly America. And um, I'm not sure any of us had heard of him before this. So put, put Jerry Lewis into context. Is this Jerry Lee Lewis? Or is that no, it's Jerry doing? Lewis. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so I, there you he, go. I, I have no idea. It's. <laughs> I, I mean, I find it amazing that you guys never heard of him. Um, because it, before him, there was there was uh, Laurel and Hardy. Like, they're, they're comedy teams. Laurel and Hardy... Then after Laurel and Hardy, there was Abbott and Costello. Mm. And then there was Martin and Lewis. It was Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Did you ever hear of Dean Martin? Oh, of course, yeah. Old soak. And they were really funny. They did. I mean, if you guys ever watched their early movies, they're hysterical. And and he, Dean Martin was a straight man. Jerry Lewis was the funny guy. You know, and he, uh, but the problem what happened is that they butted heads a lot behind the scenes. And then finally, Dean Martin felt that he was in Jerry Lewis's shadow because he got all the laughs, he got most of the applause. So he decided, well, screw this. I never want to work with this guy. And he didn't talk to him for maybe 20, 30 years. I think he finally, um, before he died, they met again and, you know, they kind of hugged it out on on the Jerry Lewis telethon um, that Jerry Lewis would do every year for uh ms multiple sclerosis and every year we knew that we were going back to school because it was always done on labor day and jerry lewis would host this telethon that was like three days and he'd have all these stars and you'd want to contribute contribute money to the cause and all that but anyway 
getting back to him though so he went off on his own and he did probably his famous movie was um the nutty professor and oh eddie, right yeah 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 okay and so eddie murphy remade that movie and you know that was very popular at the time but uh, he did Cinderella, and he basically plays the same character. He's like a nerdy character, um, and you know he can't get a girlfriend. And then at the end, he, he someone falls in love with him. But he is legitimately funny. But he is also a bit of a prick, you know. From what I've heard, he's just a nasty person. You don't want to know him. You don't want to be friends with him. Because he thinks he is way above everybody. He's just like the character of Jerry Langford. Uh, okay. You know, no, I didn't like his character at all. I, I mean, I've heard so many stories, and there's videos on YouTube's of interviews where he's yelling at people, you know, and calling them stupid. You don't know what you're doing. You know, like he just berates people. But when you look at his early stuff, when he's very young, like when he's 19, 20 years old, he's funny, you know, and and kids loved him. They they thought he was hysterical. And yeah, I never understood the whole thing with France, but I did hear that a lot of that had to do with the fact that they dubbed his voice in France. So they were laughing at his performance, but they admired the voice that was coming out of him. And I think <laughs> I think the guy that dubbed his voice died and someone else did it and then they didn't find him as funny. So um, I, th I think Jared, it did go above and beyond that. So he won the Légion d'honneur, which is France's uh, highest award for for a non-military um contribution to to the country so i think over there he was seen as an, an auteur you know he was really highly regarded culturally uh, in a way that just absolutely wasn't in the uk for example well again i i wouldn't say he's in my top 50 hundred funniest people you know he's not that funny so i don't understand why the french had that much love for him but they did I know like they, they worshipped him and people made fun of him here. You know, it's a, well, why didn't you move to France or something like that? Because like they, you know, if you didn't like, a lot of people didn't like Jerry Lewis because again, he got arrogant, he got stuffy and maybe that was part of it is that he was worshipped in France. Like Steven Seagal, I think it was, is it Tibet? Where they thought <laughs> yeah, he was Tibet. a god yeah. and he thought, you know, it's like, I'll just live here. It's because people think i'm a god but anyway a bit like um, david hasselhoff being like a really really revered don't... singer in mm. germany not yeah, norman, Wis Norm norman wisdom in albania yeah there's, there's a, <laughs> like a, a rich tapestry of these oh, bizarre yeah, uh, <laughs> affections which people are held but um we are kind of slightly glossing over Lewis's darker side, Joe. So again, you know, it blew my mind when I found out how famous he was because I actually thought the way I prepare for the pod is I watch the film first, then I do the research after. So I try and watch the film on its own merits. But I think this might be an example where that backfired because had I known about Lewis and his personality and his history, I think it might have brought a richness to his portrayal um, because you know there are some dark aspects to his on-screen persona and, and i um and i wondered to what extent he drew on that to what extent he was aware of it um for example i, I gather he had a percodin addiction for quite a long time which really screwed with him percodin which is like a an american prescription drug i think so that that's my oh. simpsons reference Krusty the clown was also addicted to percodin um <laughs> which i think was a and and also had a uh well, in Christopher the Clown's fictitious world, 
a highly corrupt telethon which he used to finance his extravagant lifestyle. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> so, there's some parallels. Yeah, where's well, the telethon? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, let, let's not get banned from YouTube, but um, yeah, you know, potentially. <laughs> and Jerry Lewis is uh, sorry again. I'm doing an Amanda here. Jerry Lewis's sons, not Jerry Lee Lewis's sons, um, got um, yeah, had a particularly difficult time with their father, I think, as well. So yeah, it was a it was a dark and problematic individual as well as being highly successful. Yeah, and uh, he also did this movie, I forget what it was called, they never released it, where he basically played a clown, and he was in clown makeup, and what he would do is he would lead little children to the, um, uh, what is it, the extermination chambers during World War II, like little Jewish children, Um, and they would follow him in there, and then, because he was a clown, and then he would walk out and close the doors and then they would just die the gas and it's never been released there's been like pictures of it and you know it could have ruined his career i think they realized that was it you know that that would have destroyed his career um but it's people have been like dying to just find a full thing of that movie because it sounds so bizarre and so dark and they can't believe he actually did it but it's like uh that's probably the darkest part of his life is that people will mention from time to time is that he did this movie and uh it was so horrific that they right. they had to like i don't know if they burned it or whatever and it's like how do you say yes to a movie like that i think he even came up with the idea of it <laughs> so, uh, um, well somebody came up with the the sitcom heil honey i'm home where the couple yeah. live next door to hitler <laughs> so yeah you know these things happen Oh my god. Well, wow. he is Jewish, Jerry Lewis. Um so I, I think he would use that as his defense, but still it's nothing that I think most people would want to see. see Especially that's, if it, that's a tri- that's a trivia bit. You just reminded me. In the bit where he's in the house because I know uh, gets it. The bit where he's in the house and he comes uh he comes in and he's not happy and they have a row. Robert De Niro just pelted him with anti-semitic insults which is why he's so angry in that scene and afterwards he's going what was that all about it's, it's ridiculous he went and complained and when he robert de niro went well are, are you not a professional you're not a method actor and he didn't understand what de niro was trying to do and de niro went well this is what i do so get on board but anyway um about we, we, have we, to- have we finished mr lewis yeah, we'll finish with Mr. Lewis. Who's who's uh, next? Uh, Diana Abbott. She was basically the only thing I know about her. She was the first wife of Robert De Niro. <laughs> so oh, she. Well, actually. Yeah. Oh, were they married much... in this film or not? Yes. Uh, well, they when they were filming it, yeah, they were married. Oh. She was in Taxi Driver, apparently too. She was in a lot of his movies, and he'd always try to get her in there. It's just it's just hilarious for those of us on the side of the pond when we talk about Diane Abbott and we're not talking about the Shadow Home <laughs> Secretary who can't count the number of shoes she's wearing on a particular given day. But uh, yeah, there is there is a, a different Diane Abbott with a different spelling of her first name. And do, do you know yeah. who we're referring to, Joe, or not? No, she's my Jerry Lewis. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So the Shadow um, Home Secretary. So. I don't know what the equivalent position is in American politics. Secretary of State, I suppose, would be the equivalent. Um, mm-hmm. Is a, a semi-literate uh, 
Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know any of, any of our left-leading listeners on this. Well, she um, likes to drink gin, gin and tonic on the underground, despite the fact that that's banned. That you're not allowed to do that, but she justifies it. So, I've had a hard day. And you're like, oh, yeah, until, you know, the spotlight goes on their side, and then they go, but if Boris Johnson was drinking a pint on the, uh, the underground, all hell would break loose, so... As, yes. as far as I know, that Dan Abbott was never married to Robert De Niro, but uh, <laughs> I think he'd run a mile. But no, only um, second to my level of surprise at how famous Jerry Lewis was was that this woman had been married to De Niro and had two, well, had one children and uh, adopted another child together. So this was an important part of his life uh, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. How long were they married for? Twelve I years. Yeah. Was wow! I didn't think it was that long, but I guess so. And then Naomi Campbell, I see. After after that, what? yeah, he was with Naomi Campbell for about eight years. Was he? Oh, sorry, did did this did that like cultural zeitgeist just pass you by? He was the went everywhere with her. Didn't know that. Oh right, okay. He has oh. a type. We'll just say, and it's it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, we're all thinking it, Joe, but you went there. That's, and, that's and the, YouTube, the YouTube al- algorithm has just woken up and gone. I'm sure I need to listen to this further. Well, all I'll say is, like, if you watch uh, Jackie Brown, where he hires that stripper, you know, I mean, it kind of references in a way. We'll just leave it at that. You know? Okay. Yes. Let's let's move let's move on. Uh, next, San- Sandra Bernhardt. Yes. Yeah, there's no there's, Sandra Bernhardt could get in any way politically controversial, is there? So <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she, she had a relationship with Madonna, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing what? I know her for. Oh, no, uh, uh, ahead, sorry, I was going to say, she's Minerva Mayflower in Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk, I am. I might be the only person on the planet that thinks that's a really entertaining quirky great film but yeah. she is amazing in that she is so good she's she's really funny and part of the reason why she was picked by martin scorsese is because she used to go on the david letterman show and she used to act like a stalker i mean she was basically pushing her stand-up and all that but she would try to you know she would rub his knee and she would kiss him for a long time and kind of joke that they were having sex together even though they weren't um, but what was funny though is, is she was hysterical. Like she always made him feel uncomfortable. And uh, those are she was on there, I think, twenty five times on his show. And those are the best parts of the David Letterman show is whenever she's on there. So I at one point, like she would always say, she's like, "Oh, I was hanging out with Versace," and and no one would like believe her, you know. Or David Letterman would never believe her. He's like, hey, she's just making up this crap." But she was actually hanging out with a lot of famous reclusive people and one of them was madonna and you know he was all like well you know you're full of crap and all that and then the daily news got a picture of her and madonna and at this point this was madonna at her height she was like a god in the united states um because she had just done i guess like a virgin um right after that Uh, you know right around that time and so she just was so damn popular. Like she refused to go on the Tonight Show. She wouldn't do any talk shows or anything like that. Um, she just there was a lot of paparazzi around, uh, trying to just get pictures of her in clubs, and it was hard to do. 
but she was hanging out with Sandra Bernhardt. And so Sandra Bernhardt came on the show and he says, so you weren't kidding about being friends with Madonna. She's like, no, I don't kid. You know, it's like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're tight. And like, she would say something stupid. Like we were watching Gilligan's Island the other night and they probably were. And, and you know, so he says, what are the odds of her coming on my show? And he goes, well, I guess I can ask her. It's like, she's backstage. And he's like, could she come on now? And and she goes, yeah, I'll get her to come out. And she went in the green room and she just grabbed her. And it's like, come on, come on. And she got him, <laughs> she got her on Letterman's show. And you could just tell he is just in awe. He doesn't know what to say to Madonna. Because like, again, it was just so bizarre. Like she was on top of Michael Jackson. She was so popular at this point over in the United States. Ooh. And uh, it's, it's just amazing. But the only one that's as cool as a cucumber, Sandra Bernhardt. Madonna's nervous. David Letterman's nervous. And it's, it's a, you know, I'll try to send you the video if I can yeah, find yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's really good. But she was fooling around apparently oh. with her and Sean Penn when they were married. <laughs> she was, she had a nice oh, looking oh, body. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All that said, though, Joe, I do think one of my one of my criticisms of this film would be the fact that there are four main cast members, and we've I in particular put De Niro up on a pedestal, and then you've got uh, Jerry Lewis, and this was a departure. So yeah, you know, his, perhaps his signature performance was The Nutty Professor, but this was his only other big film. You know, if you don't if you discount the the Dean Martin stuff in the early days. Um, Sandra Bernhardt and Diane Abbott never really did a film of this stature or quality ever again, and uh, and I do wonder how wise the casting choices were in this film. To be, to be honest, so De Niro standout legend, of course, but the others, you know, to what extent did they contribute to the to the film, and to what extent could there have been better casting, perhaps? Wow, uh, Sandra I, Bernhardt. Sandra Bernhardt is my favourite thing about this film. <laughs> yeah, I thought she deserved Best Supporting Actress. I don't think she was even nominated, but, yeah. um, you know, like Amanda was saying, and, and I had said that now people look at this as one of his best movies and, uh, especially after Joker came out and mm. like, you would hear like people say, it's like, oh, well, it's like King of Comedy. And it's like, what's King of Comedy? And then people would watch it. And it's like, oh, De Niro's in it too, you know, cause he was in Joker. And, uh, it's like, yeah, they ripped off King of Comedy, didn't they? And. I guess Todd Phillips, who was the director, really enjoyed that movie. Well, also, Martin Scorsese was originally tied to Joker. And then slowly he kept falling out. So I think he kind of was in Todd Phillips' ear or was helping him. He might have been, you know, a silent producer or whatever. Right. But it is like a Martin Scorsese film Joker. Yes, um, yeah, it is. But Sandra Bernhardt, I, I think she's great. I think she's great in this film. And uh, she's a great stand-up comedian. I did want to say one thing. So what happened with her, with Madonna, is that she introduced her to Rosie O'Donnell because Rosie O'Donnell wanted to meet Madonna. And then they started having an affair. And then they kind of kicked her to the curb. Like, you know, that was it for Sandra Bernhardt. And uh, I always used to hate Rosie O'Donnell for that. I was like, you've got some hell of a nerve. Your friend introduces you to Madonna and then you start have an affair with her and they're like you're not allowed in a club anymore i just don't think that's right I, I just wondered if now was the time to segue into the joker or joker i should say yeah, i think um, so i think we finished with roll okay call. well we've been talking for roll call for about 45 minutes so yeah Sorry. probably 
No, but I think we needed to. I think it was uh, justified in that sense. But yeah, let's talk about Joker. Now, I did want to watch Joker before coming and doing the podcast, but I just haven't had the chance and I couldn't find it um, to, to view without having to pay for it. So, well, I, th- I think you hear a range of views here because I've, I've uh, heard that Joe's a big fan, but I'll be honest, I was bored by the Joker. That, that's Were my, you? I, I was, yeah. yeah. Wow. I, don't, I, was, I, I was intrigued, <clears throat> equally as intrigued as, as this film. I, uh, I don't mean they had no redeeming features, but yeah, I didn't enjoy it. So, so Joe, go on, be... be uh, what are the links between this film and King of Comedy? Well, I will just say for Joker, I thought it was an incredible performance by Joaquin Phoenix, and he rightly deserved Best Actor that year. Yeah, But it's basically the, the link of it is that they're both delusional, and they both want to become comedians. They both think that they're funny. They both live with their mother. Um, and it's they both snap at one point. Mm. And they both end up on like a sort of Tonight Show type of show, you know, which brings them fame, you know, even, you know, after they had gone on there. Uh, I guess that's, it's not elegantly stated, but that's kind of like the similarities that I see. But, but I think it's, so it's, it's a, I think it's a really good summary, but they're more explicit than that, aren't they? I think the Joker is heavily influenced by King of Comedy. If, if King of Comedy didn't exist, the Joker would be a, a different film, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, do we do we look at it as like a flip, as like a role reversal, as you know, as you know, Robert De Niro now playing the talk show host that he wants to to, to get in with? Because the one thing that I thought, if you were talking about the parallels with it, I found the the kidnapping of Jerry Langford um, not believable that the FBI would follow him around everywhere and would go, right, okay, and he was savvy enough to go, well, I'm not just waiting for my bit to be filmed, I'm waiting to, to be aired, So because, you know, mm. you could cut it out if I if I tell you where he is now. The the FBI just looked totally inept in, in, in this whatsoever. But I guess, I, I mean, I, I would give Joker a 9 out of 10. I know you did, Joe, as, as we said on your podcast, but, um, yeah, it, it's... you. Who, who was it that called this this film a bit unsettling? I think it was you, Dom, at the start. That was just a bit, you know, that's... Or did, was it you, Amanda, that said, you, you know, you didn't really know where it was coming from? Well, if that if King of Comedy is dark, then I don't know what that makes Joker because it takes it up to the, the whole new level, especially where he actually gets on the show mm. and then well, has his two, chance. Two, two things I'd say to that, Charlie, and, and with all due respect to, to Joe, because obviously this is the whole point of the pod, is different opinions and different experiences, but I much preferred King of Comedy to Joker, and I would put De Niro's performance well ahead of Joaquin Phoenix's, personally. Um, I, I did think that King of Comedy is a difficult film to orientate yourself around. So the way it starts, and it's it's the opening scenes are filmed you know, as if it's the talk show and you're not quite sure, is this part of the film, isn't it? Is he going to cut, you know, how's all this going to fit in? So one of my criticisms of the film, perhaps, is that it's it's probably not funny enough to be a really effective black comedy and it's not dark enough to be a a thriller or a horror in its own right. It's not Cape Mm. Fear at at that kind of Mm. end of things. And and it's so, so for me, it didn't, it didn't sit naturally anywhere on the kind of spectrum of, of films but it doesn't mean it's, it's bad for that but it was just consuming it watching it, it was, you know it, it was difficult to kind of place yourself in that and i think as time passes 
uh, I think Amanda's point at the start was right. Actually, for me, it, it feels really prescient about uh, you know modern culture and celebrity culture, and and yeah. uh, you know that that's definitely a, a takeaway, which I think is more profound now, perhaps, than it was back in in 1982. Mm. Mm. Uh, do we well, look think, at both? Do we look at I... both endings? Uh, and I know one of the things that you're going to talk about, Joe, because we had a chat yesterday. Um, are they real? Are, are the endings of both of these films, are they real? That's the whole point. It's up to the viewer to decide whether they're a fiction exactly. of the imagination or whether they're actually real or not. So in this film, um, it's the kind of ending is that he's he gets sentenced to six years, serves two years, nine months, Um Supposedly, he's created his memoirs. He's sold them for a million dollars, and uh, books produced. Uh, King for a night, uh, and then a motion picture is is going to be made. And then you know it, it cuts to him having his own show, and it and it and it. But the the introduction of uh, Rupert Pupkin it was a hard name to remember, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's on purpose it's Rupert Pupkin yeah um it, it keeps talking like keeps being introduced at the time mm. uh, and you just kind of think is that actually real or is that not real and I I don't know and it's exactly the same with Joker as well I think you're left to make your own decision as, as to whether the whole kind of what happened after he was sentenced is actually real or not or whether it's a figment of his imagination. Uh, I think that's a brilliant point. I think this film, in contrast to many others, you know, different sorts of films that we'll do on this pod through this season, that's why it's a good film, because it challenges the audience in, in that way and makes you lets you make your own mind up, perhaps. And I haven't watched it multiple times in the same way Joe has. I've seen it twice. Uh, but, yeah, perhaps these are the subtleties that you pick up on more and more the more you immerse yourself in it. It was, it was for me, it, it was actually quite quite interesting um some of the the quotes in there um a guy can get anything as long as he pays the price and that's when he when he's when rupert takes uh diane rita uh out for the meal when he's talking about you know all the uh autographs that he's got and how he's bigged himself up to say you know well i've actually i actually know jerry and you know we i'm gonna go to his house and you know all this stuff and you just think, actually, that's quite poignant. A guy can get anything as long as he pays the price. It's, it's quite an interesting thought. Yeah. And then the, the, the other one um, at the end of the movie is better to be a king for a night than a schmuck for a lifetime. That's a good question. So he's willing to, to go to extremes to get you know, this opportunity on air as the king of comedy is because that's how he uh, portrays himself and that's how he wants to be known uh, and revered. Um, so he'll go to any lengths in order to do that. So uh, so he's not hmm. seen as a schmuck for a lifetime. And and the, the comedic sort of monologue he does for the 15 oh, minutes in the show... This is the bit I wanted to hear your thoughts on, or everybody's thoughts on, because this oh, is... Oh, I've, oh, I've got thoughts like, on this, yeah. When, when it's first introduced, you know, he finally gets on stage, it's cut off after his introductory line, isn't it? And then 
you think, well, you know, this, that's a really brave directorial decision. You're building up to this crescendo, and then and it actually walks away. And then you see it later when he goes to the bar it's and shows it on the television, and you, and you see yeah. it. So he shows Rita, doesn't he? he? Gets up on the on the bar, and the FBI is with him. And he's like, oh, "I just need to do this. Just need to do this." So he, he turns the flicks the channel over to the the channel that's, that the show's being aired on. But what I thought was really live. interesting about that is it starts off and he actually does well. You know, you think he's going to be a car crash from the start, and there's some you know one-liners in a way that feels appropriate and fitting for what he's doing. And then he gets into a darker space, and he's talking about vomiting and his treatment at the hands of his mother and his father but but the studio audience is still laughing which i guess plays into that whole discussion about is it real or imagined mm. um you know were the audience re- reacting like that or was it canned laughter it's and and yeah. I, I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer well, well, I, I think i watched it twice i've got to say sorry because interrupt there i watched it twice at the ending and it, there's part of me that goes we we know that this guy thinks he's funny in his own head, so we are not going to get a view. He, my view is, he went on the show and bombed. He didn't get that reaction at all. That that wasn't the reaction that was happening. He he imagined that in his head, and he made him go more more and more bolder with some of the directions and everything that he took. And that what you're expected, what was still in his head, at the end. Was that he did go to he did go to jail, that was real, but then he came out and all this this other stuff and the accolades and everything else from that, and I thought the lesson to be t- to take away was, it wasn't people didn't want to see him because of he was funny, people wanted to see him because he's now notorious, that he's he's interesting, we might we didn't like what he did. But my good, look at all the efforts and everything you went to in order to get to that. I mean, that's a great story. It's the same reason why people tune in for the OJ OJ chase. Mm. You know, they, they just want to see something. They want to be part of something. They're notorious. Look, this guy got on the Jerry Langford show by kidnapping Jerry Langford mm. and having Tony Randall as the stand-in. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm intrigued at that. And then I'd listen to him and go, well, it's not that good. Well, so I, I, th- you... I think the whole thing was made up in his head. I think. I don't know if you recall, like there was a, a terrorist attack at, at the Boston Marathon, where they had planted a yes. bomb, like two brothers. Yes, and remember that. They they killed one of them, and then one of them survived. Family one in a boat, didn't they? Under- yeah, yeah. But he got this fandom, like where all these girls were in love with him. They put him on the cover of Rolling Stone. They made him look like a superstar. And, um, you know, all these girls wanted to marry him and said he can't be guilty because he's too good looking. You know, so that does exist in reality, which is sad, is that people will become attracted to someone just because they're famous. You know, they can be evil, they can be bad, but, you know, as long as they're on TV, they're famous. But I think that the audience did laugh at his jokes because he was built up as the king of comedy. They kept saying this is a special show. This is a special night. Tony Randall said, you know, this man is destined for greatness you know and also you have to remember too there's an applause sign out there for the audiences that are is pushed when because they know they're going to be on tv they want to hear their laughter they want to hear because they want to watch it later and say well that was me that was me laughing like i'll watch bill maher and it annoys the hell out of me because he has a live audience yeah and you can tell like he'll say it's like oh did you see you know what prince harry did today and someone will just go Woo! 
you know, just because you know they want to hear that when it's being rebroadcast, and they'll they'll tell their friends that was me, that was me, I was the one who said whoop, you know, <laughs> and I think that that's the case in this is that the audience is being told you need to laugh and you need to laugh hard. Another thing is, uh, what is that stupid show I can't stand uh, about the nerds? Um, oh, uh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. I can't watch that show because. And I read a, a whole thing on that where they would have audiences come in and say, you have to laugh. They would rehearse the audiences laughing. Oh, God. And then if they made a mistake, they would say, all right, we're going to do the scene again. I need you to laugh harder this time. And it was all fake because like they would, a sign would come on and say, laugh, laugh really hard, you know, applause. And it's like you could just tell because those like, you know how Larry David is funny. He's got no laugh track or anything like that. Big Bang is not funny. If they didn't have like a laugh track or a live audience on there, you know, telling you when it's time to laugh, it, it just annoys the hell out of me. But anyway, I do think that they were laughing and, and that he did bring, you know, he she did get to see what it was like with him on that like Tonight Show or Jerry Langford show. But as far as the ending goes, I've watched this ending multiple times. And in the beginning, I thought, yeah, you know, he did make it. You know, it's like, Again, because he's famous now for doing what he did to Jerry Langford. People are curious about him. And this would have pissed Jerry Langford knowing that he became successful by kidnapping him. Mm -hmm. And someone would take advantage of that, you know, knowing, well, we're going to get ratings. We're going to make a lot of money from this guy. He's going to make millions of dollars writing a book. But yeah. now when I watch it, I think that's all bunk. I think that's in his head, you know, because there's no way they would let him out early, you know, for good behavior, for kidnapping someone and threatening to kill him and then taking, you know, the, uh, the Jerry Lankford show hostage. I don't think they would do that. I think they would give him a more severe sentence back then. Also, uh, it was pointed out to me that when you look at him, when he's on the stage and the, the announcer is announcing it, like at the end, the curtains start to change into like jail bars, you know, prison bars, you know, it kind of looks like he might oh, be in prison. But what I felt this last time for the first time is I think he's in hell because he's wearing a red outfit, you know, and he normally doesn't wear that type of outfit and he's just frozen. He's like a deer in the headlights. He's not saying anything. Yeah. He's not smiling. You know, it's like he finally got what he wanted, you know, and he realized that that's not what I want, you know? Um, and throughout this whole movie, he is never in denial. He's overconfident and like, what I, I love about the character is that he makes everyone uncomfortable. The only one he doesn't make uncomfortable is Marsha, you know, because she's crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I love his hand gestures, you know, like when he, especially when he says the jokes, you know, like his hands go all over the place. Cause I knew people like that too. I knew a lot of Italian people like that. Well, they would just grab you and like they practically pull you towards them. And I was like, well, get off of me. It's like, I know, I know you're trying to talk to me. It's, and I used, because one guy used to just drive me crazy. He'd always be touching me. It's like, why do you got to touch me? Can't you tell me a story without touching me? <laughs> crying out loud. Um, but that's, that's how people face. act. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love his hand gestures. If you watch the movie, when he's trying to make a point, you know, he just like, is always using his hand in this movie, his hands in this movie. I think it's great. It's fantastic. Well, I read that he, uh, he went to a lot of stand-up, uh, sort of startup stand-up shows uh, to do research on stand-up comedians to see how they 
kind of constructed stuff and um, delivered it as well, just so part of his method acting, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, just to kind of understand how how to del- deliver it for real. Um, it's amazing he's still alive, De Niro, like with all the crap that he's done, because like with his method acting, I remember like he ballooned to be Jake LaMotta and uh, Al Capone in The Untouchables. Mm. And then he immediately got in a terrific shape for Cape Fear. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Excellent well, it's shape a bit like, a, what's his face from um, Psycho? Um, oh, Christian Bale? Yeah, Christian Bale. He does that too, doesn't he? Yeah, it's dangerous. I mean, but that's how much his acting is important to him. But like what Dom was saying, I honestly do think that he's probably the greatest actor of our generation. When you look at the list of his movies, and I love watching the majority of his older stuff, but like, like, um, Charlie was saying, like, some of the recent stuff, it's like kind of cringy. Uh, he plays a little safe now. He's going to be in that new movie with Scorsese. Yes, uh, it's which, a new one, isn't it? Is it Killing of the Flowers or something? Yeah. And, uh, I don't like that now his new De Niro is Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, cause he puts him in every movie now, Scorsese and he, he's good in a couple of them, but I wish he would go with someone else, but I'm glad De Niro's at least in that movie. I'm not a Leo fan. Fortunately. Yeah, me too. I'm not a Leo fan. Uh, unlike Dr. Evil. Leo. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, so, I mean, only cause we are keeping the podcast a little, a little bit shorter, any other fi- final thoughts on it? Or I do have some trivia, but it's a bit odd putting trivia time in. Yeah, just just anybody okay. in general. Uh, yeah, okay. I think it's more relevant today, um, and uh, sort of like I was sat sat in my bed after I'd watched it, and kind of having to think about, you know, because I, I'd obviously not seen the movie before, and how poignant I thought it was about the trappings of fame. Um, and you know, when you get there, you see it, you see Jerry Lewis as having a very lonely, disconnected life. Um, it's very cold, it's very empty, and it and it's almost like he can't have a real life because he's trapped by his fame. He can't go out down the street without being recognized, he can't just pop in the shop, he can't just do this or that or the other. And when he returns home to his apartment, it's all very plush and very lovely, but he's on his own. There's nobody there. And you just think, is that really the price Ooh, that you have to yeah, pay for fame? And, no, and and he was saying, you know, in his, well, was it actually reality or in Rupert's head? I can't remember at that point. But he was saying about the cold, sort of harsh reality of it all. And, you know, you, you could be you're constantly waiting for somebody not to have the confidence in you anymore. So you could literally be dropped, uh, you know, like a stone. Um, and, and then that's the end. So it's, it's that continual worry and cycle of kind of trying to perform to be better than what you were yesterday um, to, to maintain that lifestyle, to maintain that popularity and, you know, everything that goes with it. So, you see it today in society where people who haven't actually got any talent whatsoever now have supposedly celebrity status just because they've been on a reality show or whatever. 
and you just think well is this what people aspire to do people want to be that famous you know want to have all that influence uh, you know as such um and i think social media has really twisted people's perception of what is good and what is a job and what is talent etc so yeah i think this is actually a really good film to watch to to although it was made in the 80s to actually really understand fame and the trappings of it so so what score would you give it because i think we'll we'll use our time to 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 finish so my, up. my score i'm actually going to give it a 7 out of 10 because i actually really enjoyed it um having not seen it before yeah i, I and i would probably want to see it again and i want to watch joker as well to okay. see how it all interacts with each other oh, cool. it's amazing okay dom well, I thought that was a brilliant summary by Amanda, so, and she covered a lot of the ground that I thought um, that was really relevant to this film as well. So I, I guess in summary for me, there are, there are two great things about this film. De Niro as an actor and New York in the early 1980s, both brilliantly um, evocative in, in this. Um, but personally, I did find it impossible to escape the conclusion that this is more minor league um, De Niro and Scorsese compared to some of their epic all-time Great films that they've done. Um, I personally found the scope less impressive, talking about celebrity culture and US talk shows, and I found it more televisual rather than cinematic, if I'm being mm-hmm. philosophical. So I think I probably added a half point on, as we've discussed it today, because actually, despite its flaws, I still think it's more important and more enjoyable than, than many other films from the, the era. But anyway, in summary, I'm going to agree with Amanda in a roundabout way and give it a 7 out of 10. Oh! Wow, okay. As it's your film, Jay, you'll go last. So I'll, okay. I'll, uh, I'll just... Um, I, I, I'll use my, my little bit of my time to point out some little bits of trivia. Uh, Meryl Streep turned turn, turn down Sandra Bernhardt's role. Oh. Um, Johnny Carson was offered the role. Uh, of the Jerry Lewis character, but turned it down. Um, uh, the the street scum that they refer to when Sandra Bernard and uh, uh, Robert De Niro are having the uh, argument in the street are actually Mick Jones, Paul si- Simonon, and Joe Strummer. So basically, it was the clash that were mm. in the background, and that's the street scum <laughs> that they were referring to. Brilliant. Uh, but, but Scorsese um, said he found this whole unsettling. Um, and they didn't work together for seven more years because he put it, it was so emotionally um, grueling. So that's why they didn't work together until Goodfellas. How true that is, I never get the trivia because one of the other pieces of trivia was Jason Bateman says, Rupert Popkin is one of my all-time fa- favourite performances. It's like, who cares what Jason Bateman thinks about Scorsese films? I mean, I'm uh-huh. being, look, I like Jason Bateman. Do I, I like Jason Bateman. You know, well, yeah, but it's not like, you know, when Dom said it's one of the greatest actors of our generation and stuff, <coughs> John Cusack, joking, joking, everyone. It's Kevin Costner, of course. But um, I think the reason why we have this, um, the the scores at the end, I think it's worked really well because I've changed my score based on what I've heard. Um, I was going to give it a four. I'm now going to give it a six. I now would go and watch it. I, I think I, based on, you know, this is why I love this podcast. This is why I love you, all of you. <laughs> is because 
something will come up and you'll go, I didn't think of it in that way. Or maybe I do need to go and watch it again. Not in a, oh, well, Joe, I need to go and watch for the bars at the end now and, and just go back. Oh, I'm going to go and curious. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I would. I'd probably be mildly curious. But I think as a whole, you convinced me. I, I still think I'm right. It's, the, the character Robert De Niro plays is so annoying that I'm going to have to get through that. But yeah, I've changed. So yeah. So we've got 776. Joe, over to you. One thing I want to do, I wanted to add some context towards the talk shows, because like you said, it's different over in the UK. Johnny Carson was huge. Like it was, I used to watch Johnny Carson every night and he was so huge. I didn't care what guests he had on. Like usually I would just watch his monologue and turn it off when the guests came on and he would make and break people. So like, I think Rodney Dangerfield, like usually he'd have stand-up comedians come on and they would do their, their bit and they usually would go and that was it. But if he went like this, you know, we wouldn't see it. But like, I guess the cameraman or the, or the producer would see it. He would say, I want him sitting next to me because I really like this guy. He would make you. So he, I think he made Rodney Dangerfield's career when he went like this. He did the same thing with uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld just came out there, did a monologue, and then he would go like that. And then, you know, the other ones, he would just say, it's like, oh, thanks, you know, and just go on to the next bit. But he was so funny. I mean, I would tape all of his shows and watch them. And the same thing with Letterman, too. I would watch all of his shows. and it. But they did have a, a, a rough life because they had stalkers that they had to deal with. Letterman had this one woman constantly breaking into his house and saying that she was his wife. And um, she was put in jail, then let out, and then she went right back to his house and broke in again. You know, so there was that that did exist so i guess that that's kind of why i like the movie because i've i did see it happen in real life and it is very realistic in ways uh for me robert de niro's performance i i'm not going to agree with jason bateman i don't think it's the best performance ever by any actor but i think it's an incredible performance because you you'd have to watch i guess that's what it is like i told you in the beginning watch it over and over and over again the more you watch it the more you realize just how great of an actor de niro is because we're all used to him playing like this mafia guy this tough guy or a boxer and all that but he's he's a nerd in this you know and he's okay with it he's comfortable we're the problem not appreciating him he doesn't give a you know crap about what we think about him all he knows is he's not going to change he never changes his name everyone keeps mispronouncing his name to yeah. pupkin which is the stupidest name if you want to be a star like i think john wayne's name was marion something his uh, yeah. first name was marion and he says well that's never going to work i'm going to change my name but rupert pupkin is so delusional that he thinks his name is perfect yeah. and Again, it's just I, I I love the performance of the movie. I love all the actors in the movie, how they interact with him. Um, and I think it's a great movie in it. And I give it a nine out of ten. That's... Wow. Ooh, nine. That's not bad. You changed my six, two sevens and a nine. You know, that's yeah. a hot, that's a hot movie. It's not like, you know, when Amanda said Howard the Duck was above average. So, yeah, it's no Howard the Duck. Oh, I would watch <laughs> Howard the Duck. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to know how many times I've seen Howard the Duck still. No, we don't. Um, You're wrong. Right. Okay. I'm reaching I'm reaching for the, uh, that. there's the Dial of Destiny. There's the Hat of Destiny as well. 
So, could, we, could, we, could we call it the Sack of Destiny? Oh, no. Uh, no. Call it Sack. Why would you not call it Char- Charlie Sack? <laughs> right, just so that... So, for you, for, sack. For you, for you listen, right, for you listening, around listening in audio, you won't be able to see this, but if you're on YouTube, you know it's totally fair. I haven't salitated anything into the corner. We're just going to take this one out. So, the film that we'll be covering in two weeks' time is... Risky Business. Oh, that's mine. It's yours, yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, this is good. This is nice, isn't it? Everyone's drawn out. It's just Don might have his la- all his uh, all his choices down as the last four. <laughs> It'll be like <laughs> be drum- drumming his fingers, going, "I'm not being funny. I'm not accusing you of anything, but I think this is rigged." Well, maybe we should do one of mine next. That's, you know, but no, well, we can't. A, well, the hat of destiny speaks. Yeah, we've had the sorting hat in Harry Potter, and now we've got Charlie's sack on our screens. So, yeah, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> the, al- the algorithm's just gone. Hello? Sorry? I thought I was finished here. Um, well, risky business it is. It is. Why? Risky business. Tom Cruise in his underpants. Can I make a confession? I've you never like seen Tom it. Tom Cruise in his underpants? Oh, no. You've never, never seen Risky Business. I've never seen it. Oh what? my lord! Even I've, I've obviously seen Risky Business. I've never seen it. Uh, Mister Eighties has not seen Risky Business. What? Wait a minute! That's not a seminal moment of the eighties. <laughs> it is Risky but, Business. Yes, oh, the, the bit where he slides in in his oh yeah, yeah. Uh, right okay. It's classic. It, and next, you'd be telling me, "Oh, The Goonies is a good film." <laughs> I like The Goonies. Oh god, overrated. Oh, don't you get rid of listeners. Look, we will cover the Goonies. We may even do it as part of Lucky Dip. Who knows? Only I know. Who knows? But when we do, I despise the Goonies. I just don't don't like anything about it. Apart from Robert Darby. That's it. Wow. Right. Sorry. I just, it, it doesn't... Truffle shuffles. Ugh. Nothing. Nothing. Sorry, listeners. I mean, you know, but, you know, I've got to be honest. So, all right, we can edit this bit out uh, before the pod goes live. So yeah, yeah I'll make sure that I edit our new listeners. Yeah, I'll make sure I edit. Yeah, he's yeah, the editor definitely. though, so it'll yeah, yeah, be, yeah. It'll be, yeah. I'll make it even worse. I'll put some uh, put some <laughs> rage music in there. I'll build, yeah, I can't. Build up. I can't add any sad trombones there. We wouldn't need to because I'm not alone. Mm. What was the Rotten Tomatoes score in this, by the way? Did anyone capture that? Oh, it was a it was a ninety percent, ninety percent. Wow. You know, the critics liked it. The audience didn't. I, I think it was only in for like in theaters for two weeks. Two weeks. And they pulled it. Yeah, it was $2.9 million, I think it, it 19 got, million it, to make. <laughs> and $19 million to make, yeah. Oof. Ouch. It was Entertainment Tonight's flop of the year, 83. Wow. Uh, anyway, that's enough uh, King of Comedy. I think we've covered that. I'm looking forward to seeing Risky Business then. Mm. I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Um, I've heard it's deeper than just Boy Alone at night because, oh, it's got Re- Rebecca De Mornay in, hasn't it? It has, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. I am in. 100% in. <laughs> and they do it on a train. <laughs> oh, right, I might start it tonight. Um. Anyway, right. Anyway, right. Well, great podcast. Love it. Um, I am loving this lucky dip. Um, if you... Uh, if you want to find us, if you're listening on audio and want to go on YouTube, just type in Rusty Jump Podcast. Please subscribe uh, and like. 
if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe and like. Then there you go. Um, I think we're going to retire mm. the web page soon because um, I don't think it's doing anything. I look at other people doing podcasts and, and you know they're they're having a really good time doing it. But upkeeping a web a web page at the same time, I think I'm just going to bin the web page. Um, if you want to contact us, contact us through Facebook, uh, Facebook Messenger. Uh, just type in yeah. Rusty Junk and get get but us through there. The MySpace stats are looking pretty bad as well, Charlie. So, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I know. Uh, just telling it like it is. Is that Tom from MySpace told you told you that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tom, everybody's first follower. <laughs> um, anyway, MySpace, good Lord. Uh Anyway, friends reunited for those in the UK. I mean, that's where it all started. Social media all all started there, um, and a lot of broken marriages later. Anyway, mm. um, right. Well, I'm going to say goodbye, uh, and over to you. I'm going to say goodbye. I don't know about you. Oh, right, it's see you. I mean, yeah. Don't. Bye, listeners. <laughs> Tulip. Bye. <laughs>